Howdy, partner, and welcome to Tom Hanks Giving. Bridge of Spies has just come out last weekend, and if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? You have one more week to check it out before we talk about it here on Tom Hanks Giving. Isn't that right, Andy? That's right. That's right, so go see it. It's fantastic. We're going to get all into the Spielberg-y, Cold War-y, Hanks-y minutia next week. But this week, prepare yourself, because we're going to take a little different of a turn, and we're going to talk about... Steven Spielberg's The Terminal. Howdy, partner, and welcome to Tom Hanks Giving, the only podcast where when you're stuck in a terminal, we're going to talk about being stuck in a terminal. Because today we're talking about the 2004 Steven Spielberg-directed Tom Hanks film, The Terminal. I'm your host, Elvis, and today I'm joined by... A man who's been there from the very beginning of the original conception of Tom Hanks giving. The buzz to my Woody, the hooch to my Turner, Mr. Tom Cameron. The hooch to your Turner, that's so nice. Hello. <laughs> very nice to be here. Yes, I'm, uh, I was there, I think it was you and I, and there may have been one or two other people involved that came up with the concept for... Tom Hanks giving. Yeah, it was back uh, in Chicago a few years ago. Not, not the podcast, but the concept of the holiday. Yes. Yeah. Um. You. It was you and I because we were discussing our Thanksgiving rituals, and you had the ritual of going home yes. and watching Batman Begins with your dad. This was every year since the movie came out. It would play <laughs> always on Thanksgiving, and I would just watch it after eating, fall asleep on the couch with my dad at a stranger's house, like at our aunt, aunt and uncle's house or something. And, uh, and then that, yeah, and then that kind of turned into, oh, why don't we just like choose an actor or a filmmaker we really like and start a tradition. And we, of course, picked Tom Hanks because who, who else has more? He has got such a diverse body of work, comedies, animation, serious movies. He has got it all. And it feels good around the holidays, his stuff. Yeah. You're always going to get a wholesome, good film with with him involved. I think so, Mm -hmm. at least. Yeah. So what is your experience with The Terminal before this podcast? Now, The Terminal, I believe – so the the film came out in 2004. Mm -hmm. I don't believe I saw it then because I wasn't too into films just yet, like at least – you know, I loved movies, of course, my whole childhood, but I didn't really get into watching them more seriously until around like tenth or eleventh grades. Um, so I must have seen the movie a couple of years after that. Um, but I remember, I remember not liking the film when I first saw it. Uh, I don't know why I didn't like it, but I thought it was boring. I didn't. I, maybe I just wasn't paying attention enough, or maybe my cinematic appreciation brain just wasn't as attuned to what was happening in this movie. But upon seeing it again, I watched it just last night, I actually really enjoyed the film. So okay. I, I have to wonder if this is a first-time viewing thing, because I saw it for the first time last night, and I'm not mm. feeling too hot on it right now. Oh, interesting. See, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I'm happy to have revisited it, because I don't think I otherwise would have. Well, maybe we can come to a, a more con- uh, a consensus about how we feel about the movie sure. through a discussion, because I always find that always kind of helps shape how I'm feeling because I just finished watching it literally right before we record. This is the bad thing. Like I came home and started <laughs> watching it last night, got so sleep deprived <laughs> that I had to stop the movie, which I hate doing, uh, especially for something like this when I'm doing a podcast on it. But oh. I was I was not going to make it. Like I fell asleep somewhere in between the goat scene 
and then they're <laughs> on a date, and I'm like, I gotta go back at least twenty minutes. Oh, those are so. That's when the movie really picks up. I know. Though. There's so much going on then. And uh, uh, yeah, so I had to pick it up and watch the rest, the, the second half well, this morning. That's funny you say that because there's well, there's only one movie I've ever fallen asleep while watching ever in my life. I'm I'm able to just get sucked in, and, and even if I'm really sleepy, I, I finish a movie. And it was a to Tom Hanks movie. It was a Tom Hanks movie. Really? It was uh, um, the Da Vinci Code. Uh, that make, uh, that makes sense. I, I couldn't handle it. I, I've never seen the Da Vinci Code, but I've heard it in another room when I was <laughs> make, making out with someone. Oh well, that sounds like a much more pleasant experience. Does, yeah, I like, wouldn't taint that memory <laughs> by watching the actual movie. I'll get to it eventually. <laughs> Not a good. <laughs> maybe I, maybe but, I can get the person I was making out with to be the host on that. Oh, that episode. was really funny, <laughs> and you can remember like, oh yeah, I remember that line. Like, <laughs> that's when you had your hand on my breast. Well, it was like there was so <laughs> little to do, and that movie seemed so boring. It's like, well, I guess we just just go for it. <laughs> oh man, so yeah, so should we uh, recap the film? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so in case people don't know, yeah, let's do, let's recap it because uh, it's incredibly detailed plot and you're going to get seems, lost. It seems I'm more qualified to recap it than you are. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, well, just before you recap the story, just to give a little context. Um, so we were just talking right before we rolled, um, Steven Spielberg, the, it came out in 2004. This is right between, cause we were of course in Steven Spielberg month here on Tom Hanks giving. So going through mm-hmm. his filmography, uh, he started working with Tom Hanks uh, on Saving Private Ryan, and then just before this was their previous collaboration, Catch Me If You Can. And that was the last movie he did before this, and then following this was War of the Worlds, so we're a, a Tom between two Toms. Yes, exactly. And it's funny because he Spielberg's work with Tom Hanks before this was all very serious stuff. It was Saving Private Ryan, the Minority Report was in there somewhere. Um, or no, he didn't, he wasn't in, Tom Hanks wasn't in that, but either, either way, Spielberg was doing a lot of, yeah. uh, more like, you know, serious stuff. And then all of a sudden, Catch Me If You Can was like this great, Just kind know, of this great Lark movie. Yeah. And this movie feels sort of similar to that in, in the way it feels mm-hmm. for, to me at least, of course, at airport being, you know, you can make that easy comparison of it taking place in the airport, a lot of it, but, um, I don't know, just tonally they both felt different. It felt like he needed a break from, you know, wars and stuff. And and what's funny is because as soon as this movie was finished, he does War of the Worlds. So yeah. he's like, you know what, I kind of miss that. <laughs> that big, fighting terrifying, gun- yes, violent stuff. <laughs> so, and, uh, and for Tom's placement in the, the Tom line, uh, Catch Me If You Can was really his last big thing. He did a... He was Abraham Lincoln in a TV series documentary. Oh, um, really? And uh, a couple other characters. But the movie that came out the same year, just before this, was The Lady Killers, which we already reviewed on uh, the show, as not a highlight of the Tom line. So this, actually, this period, this 2004 area, is I'm not feeling too good about Because <laughs> he's also got a movie, I think this is a cameo he must play, called Elvis Has Left the Building, which seems no. very appropriate for me to review eventually. And this is also the same year the Polar Express came out. So 2004 is really? not my huh. favorite year for Tom Hanks. No, no, I actually have never seen that movie. But I've, well, from what I have seen of it, it doesn't look 
well, like a fun <laughs> family friendly Christmas movie. It looks kind of scary. Well, you will uh, see it and hear about it this Christmas on Tom Thanksgiving. Wonderful. That's <laughs> so great. I'm not sure uh, how we're going to recreate the mocap for the Tom Thanksgiving leftover scene. <laughs> well, you know uh, Zemeckis, I'm sure. He's <laughs> popping around town over oh, there. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, so, so it's funny. So you're recording from L.A. I'm in New York. So we've got um, – it was funny. This movie takes place at JFK mm-hmm. Terminal, which I have frequented. You've never been – I believe. No, I have not. But uh, I mean, I guess I, I almost went to the airport once. But. <laughs> almost went to the airport once. Yeah. Yeah, this is JFK I know pretty well. And it's a complete garbage airport. Uh, this <laughs> movie, it? you yeah. know, they make it look like a w- way better place than it is. It's really clean in the movie. There's all these stores that are open. When I'm there, it's just absolute chaos. Uh, but it, this, you know, this took place years before I had first came to New York, so mm-hmm. perhaps it has changed. But, so, so this movie follows Tom Hanks, of course, playing uh, a man named Victor Novorsky, who I believe he is from Russia, this this place in Russia called... Uh, Krakosia. Krakosia, of course. <laughs> I, I actually, they, they made up Krakosia as its own country. Oh, okay. for the movie, I think so. They didn't. They avoided what would become the Borat problem later yeah, in two thousand six. Okay. That makes much yeah. more sense. But, I didn't re- do my research at all, and I'm very poor with geography in the in the in that part of the world. It's okay. So. That's why I'm here. Well, that's great. So anyway, Mr. Victor Novorsky from Karkosia, uh he is in a bit of a predicament. He is he has landed at JFK. Uh, from Karkosia, and his visa is in his passport. They are being denied. Uh, he's not he's not uh, able to get into the country, and he doesn't know why. He doesn't understand English. They're explaining to him what's going on, and he's just... It's very comedic, because he doesn't understand a word they're saying. He's like, I go to New York now. And they're like, no, no, sir. You, you cannot. You cannot. His his accent is really great. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah, he plays. The, he sells the accent really. We'll get yeah. into his performance, but uh, right. But uh, anyway, so the reason being is Karkosia. Uh, there's a, a civil war happening, and there's a rebellion. The government has been overthrown um, by some rebels, I believe, and now the United States doesn't recognize them as an actual country. So he is stuck. He's just stuck at this airport. Yeah, so he kind of, it's kind of funny. Like he's stuck here, and his his home. He he learns all about. He learns how to read. He learns all about what's happening at home, and during all that, he also learns how to survive in this in a terminal. There's a couple of other characters that play important um, roles. It's particularly in my favorite character, I believe, was Gupta the janitor. Gupta. Uh, played by Kumar Palana, who sadly passed away a few years ago. He was you. You remember him from the Wes Anderson movies as like the silent, just he, he always made me laugh in those movies. This is maybe the first like speaking role I had seen him in uh, at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has a great. So he sort of he he's afraid of this man uh, Victor at first. He thinks he's there to spy on the other. Uh, employees that are working there who are from other countries who might not have the right like papers and stuff in line. Um, so he gets a couple of other uh, empl- airport employees, including a uh, 
I guess, a baggage guy and a uh, food cafeteria delivery guy. Yeah. And they all kind of like are watching him. Because it's filled, it's filled out with this great like cameos and, and su- subcast. Because like we got Shy McBride as Mulroy yep. the package or the baggage guy, and it's like I, I just love seeing that guy. Ever since yeah. he was in Frighteners and Boston Public, I was just like every time I see him, it's delightful. And I believe Diego Luna plays the other yes. character. Yes, and uh, of course we've got uh, Zoe Saldana playing a Trekkie, which is kind of <laughs> foresight. Yeah, right. Like the hottest Trekkie ever. <laughs> And what what I love is that the movie, it's it's it plays like a silent film in a lot of ways. A lot of these scenes are constructed with no dialogue. I was gonna say the movie, especially having a minute or two to digest it now, it sort of feels like maybe like a like a classic uh, like a French film, almost like a The Bicycle yeah. Thief. No, exactly. Because it, it's I, so it, so low stakes, and it's so just about interactions with people and getting involved in their lives. And from that, I can kind of appreciate it. It's more Zelda, uh, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask than the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. <laughs> but I think, I, I wonder if, and I don't know if this was your case when you watched it the first time, I wonder if me coming in with different expectations to the movie made me have a different reaction to it. Because I'm going to be perfectly honest, and this is this could speak to my complete not lack of knowledge. I thought I I thought I knew what this movie was a lot before. But when we first meet Tom Hanks and he's dressed up surprisingly like how he looks in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, the, for some reason I thought this was more of like a funny caper movie like Catch Me If You Can was and that Tom Hanks wasn't like I thought he was faking his accent. I thought he was just going to be this kind mm-hmm. of trickster Huckster guy, which I guess wouldn't oh, have made sense of how they could have kept him there that long. But I was just in this completely different direction what I oh, thought this movie yeah. was. So, I mean, obviously going forward, it became its own thing. And I was like, okay, I'm on board. But, like, I did you remember when you first saw it, did you have any expectations going in? or No, you know, I might have. And then it didn't end up that way and maybe that's why I, I got bored with it because I was like oh that's this kind of a movie maybe I was just in the mood for something like that when I first saw it because mm-hmm. uh, it does take this you mentioned it being like a French film and it reminded me very very much of Jacques Tati movie it seemed as if Spielberg wanted to just make a Jacques Tati movie which uh, it reminded me a lot of Playtime which um, if you haven't seen just follows this man around Paris, uh, and the you know it just feels like it was structured that way. A lot of like visual gags and stuff like that, which are happening in this movie too. And the colors, like the the way they play with color, the way they it just felt it just felt very very much like like that kind of a movie. Yeah. Um, and someone else who did that, who I really admire, is um, Paul Thomas Anderson. He of course had Boogie Nights and then Magnolia, which are very large you know, ensemble pieces. And then he slowed down and made Punch Drunk Love, which he has said is he just wanted to make a Jacques Tati movie. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to make something simple, a love story. Wonderful. All wonderful films, a little lacking in the Tom Hanks department. But the, yes. to make the direct point of comparison, Punch Drunk Love, though, is a movie I can get fully behind. And I enjoyed the very first time I saw it. There's There's substance there. This movie still feels very light, and kind of flat to me. Even the humor itself, like, we were talking about some of the jokes, and yeah, they're kind of funny, but, like, 
it all falls a little flat for me. It it has a like I don't know I feel like I appreciate it more now because I have seen those kind of movies like Playtime and older mm-hmm. French movies and I know Spielberg's canon a lot more now. Uh, I know what he's capable of and I, I you know love him as a filmmaker. So this for me was just an interesting look back at something that I missed when I had first seen it. Now I'm able to appreciate it more. Well, that's, um, a, that, that's a good question. Even if you're able to appreciate it more, and going to the Spielberg canon, though, do you where would you place this on this canon? Because for me, I got to say, I think well, it's his weakest film that I've seen. His weakest film? Oh, I don't know if it's his weakest film because it's so to me, it's so different from what I know him as. It's true. I mean, like, um, I don't want to criticize him for you know stepping out and I, by saying something is the weakest Spielberg film is in no still way saying, saying it's, it's a, a bad <laughs> film. Right. Uh, although, like, I'm still, I'm still, like, I don't know if I. This is not one I'm going to be popping in a, on Tom Hanks giving very often. No, but I feel like it. It offers something that no other Spielberg film, at least up until then, really did. So, like I said, I think he maybe just wanted to make something a little more simple. Go back, and maybe I'm sure that those movies were an influence on him for oh, this. Oh, certainly. I'm sure he's just like, you know, I just want to try this out. Because I don't think he's really made a film quite like this since then either. So it just seemed like he just wanted to mix it up a bit and try this out. And I think, I don't know, I think he did a a pretty good job of getting that kind of a film made. Perhaps it does, it is a bit, the pace is a bit slow. You know, a lot of it is quite, you know, silent. You are watching a man fumble around an airport <laughs> well i think you know? i think the the biggest problem like the the concept is a really interesting idea especially because uh, i i just did a little bit of research on it uh, cursory research for the podcast here uh but it was sort of like Le- dreamworks bought the right life rights to a person that happened this happened to essentially in 1988 yes uh, where it was a man who was stuck between like the Paris airport and another in his home country. Yeah, he used, I believe, an Iranian man named. That was it. Uh, yeah, his name is Miran Nasseri uh, Masseri, and he uh, was stuck at Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris for a whopping seventeen years. Now I don't know. I don't know much about the actual story that this is based on, but that is. Crazy. Well, apparently, oh. what what happened was that they were going to let him go, and he had to choose. And then he elected to stay living at the terminal to uh. tell people his stories. And that went on until he kind of got dementia and then had to be yeah. hospitalized. Yeah, he got sick, and then they had to remove him. Which is and an he... entirely different story than the terminal. Well, absolutely, but I can see how it could inspire. I oh, mean, for sure. to to make to make that exact story would be. You know, then it becomes this film where you're you see a man aging. Um, it just becomes a different movie. So obviously, I mean, you don't have to make that well, movie. I, I just think, think we, it's... we haven't really gotten to the heart of why, like, this man is even in New York. We haven't touched upon that yet. Which is that becomes revealed um, kind of in the middle of the film. You kind of ask this question yourself as a as an audience up until you know, like the middle of the movie, like why. Uh, why is this man even in New York? What's he doing there? And he's carrying around with him this uh, peanut can, like this tin can that used to have some peanuts in it. Dry roasted peanuts. Dry roasted you. peanuts. And he first reveals what he's doing to 
Catherine Zeta-Jones, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah. When he she- tells them when she she kind of calls him out because basically this is a point where he's been courting Catherine Zeta-Jones. They're kind of having a romantic thing. Stanley Tucci notices it, and he's Stanley Tucci. Basically, the whole movie's been pissed that. Uh, Tom Hanks is still there, and he's trying to get rid of Victor. Well, it's funny. He did. There was a, a bit of a catch-me-if-you-can sort of mouse and, and cat. That's true. That's going a good on point. Because Stanley Tucci does want him to leave. He doesn't want this this man here, so he's not his problem anymore. But then, he, he without him there, I believe Stanley, like, there's nothing left for, like, to focus on. So he kind of wants him to stay, but he wants him to leave. So there's there's instances when he's helping him, but also when he well, isn't helping. It's after that uh, the the time where he he manipulates the system to help the guy with the the medication for his dying father. That's yes. when Stanley Tucci really gets like just this vengeance streak. Is like uh-huh. I'm going to keep you here, and yes. you had your freaking shot. And now you're just going to stay here. Up until then, he even set up. Uh, a moment where the guards wouldn't be watching the door leading out to the street. Yeah. And he gives, he gives him, he gives Victor five minutes that those guards, then the next shift, they're going to be late. Um, I'm just letting you know, New York city will be open for, for five minutes. You're free to go. Should you choose? And he doesn't choose. He, he stays, he goes right up to the security camera and says, I wait, I wait, (laughs) I wait. And he, he's in New York to collect for his father who has passed away um, one remaining signature um, that he's needed. So his father growing up was a, was a big jazz enthusiast uh, and he found a photo one day in a newspaper uh, of, uh, I believe the photo is, it's called uh, a great day in Harlem and it's uh, jazz musicians uh, and he saw this photo and he wanted his life goal was then to collect a signature from every single musician in that photo. Um, and there's one uh, person he didn't get a chance to get the signature from during his lifetime. Um, and this man plays tenor saxophone. His name is Benny Golson and he lives in New York city. So to fulfill his father's dying dream of getting these, these signatures, he travels to New York Simply for one task that takes all of, you know, 20 minutes. Well, I mean, with traffic and such, it's probably going to take such, sure. nine hours. But. <laughs> right. But, well, here's, so so it's pretty amazing. This might be spoiling the film. I don't know if that's allowed on this or not. Uh, if you haven't watched the movie before you listen to this, well, thanks for listening. But come on, you know you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, so because of the airport... He's made friends up until now. He's he's helped these people. Um, he finds out that if he doesn't, uh, what is it? If well, he it, does- it, it builds to this moment where he the the war in Krokosia is over, so he has safe voyage to go home now, yes. which is what Stanley Tucci is trying to you know allow him to. He's trying to get rid of him again, but still not giving him what he really wants, which is to go to New York City. Uh, but at this point, um, Victor is adamant that he's going to go to New York until Stanley Tucci blackmails him, essentially, by putting out all the dirt he's got on his uh, on his friends that work at the airport. Which I want to get to in a moment, because uh, Gupta almost killed a man, and that's kind of a fucked up thing. <laughs> well, uh, yes. That's kind of messed up. Um but 
so, but because of the blackmail, because, you know, um, Narkoski is such a nice guy and he cares about these people, he's not going to let them get in trouble. He decides to admit defeat until, well, do you want to put it exactly what Gupta does? So he, uh, he doesn't tell his friends, but they find out through the grapevine what, what mm-hmm. the reason he's actually going home. Because Gupta is calling him a coward, shouting at him. Um, as he's going to the, to his gate to get on the plane, he's saying, you waited all this time and now you're leaving, like, good riddance, like, he, he's really angry. And then he finds out, oh, he's actually doing this to save our asses. And he does the nicest thing that anyone does in this movie, I think. Maybe is, the, the craziest thing. And also the craziest and also, in this movie. And he, he runs out onto the tarmac and delays the flight by throwing his mop on the wheel of the plane, which is an amazing shot, actually. Like, one of my favorites of the movie is super wide, and you just see this giant jet plane and then one man hitting it with a mop. Yeah. It felt it felt important, like, like we're supposed to be... Like, it felt like the Tiananmen Square, like, uh, the man with the tanks. Like, it just felt super powerful, you really you feel the weight of what he had just done because now he the police are there and they're going to take Gupta now and deport him back to India where he's awaiting trial for a man that you said he almost killed many years before I believe with with, with the intent to kill mind you with the intent to kill but his story his reason for almost killing that man is is I don't know it's it's one of those like moral dilemmas like would you do this to protect your your family or your business it wasn't to protect uh, I mean like I get it. But it was five days of taxing. It wasn't like a month where they were starving. I feel like you could, you could have made a different move before then. Yeah, Gupta, maybe he flew off the handle. <laughs> he's he's very quick to a temper, as we know. <laughs> Which we know. Um, um, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the, especially when you call out the Tiananmen Square imagery. Like, the imagery itself and the action is great, but I just I didn't feel the gravitas, and I felt like, is this really the kind of theme we should well, be evoking for this moment like yeah we're sti- we're sticking it to the man but the man is just it's just kind of like oh bureaucrat bureaucrats suck I, and, and, and now that i think of it i'm tying it into uh to toy story 2 when he <laughs> stops the plane what if this is the same airport it's the same. oh my god <laughs> now i love this movie so much um now here's the thing that's kind of like sad but also kind of nice is that Catherine Zeta-Jones has been off and on seeing this businessman who's married. Uh, and uh, he's the one that gets Tom Hanks this emergency one-day visa. Yeah. Uh, so she sort of like gets help from him. And, and it's funny because they end up – like she ends up back with this with this terrible man who's married and seeing her on the side and treating her like garbage. Uh, so that's <laughs> kind of not a good ending for her character really. Well, I mean, that's not the the very last time we see her is when she's alone going back into the flight. It's not like saying, "Oh, she broke up with him again." It's but it's like at least it's not the last image we see is her kissing this guy and walking off together. Right. There's that's, a bit of a moment of recognition. Yeah, and there needed to be. Otherwise, it would have felt super just like, "Oh, she's." <laughs> Can I say? I gotta say though, they're they shot a different ending initially. Where she, yeah, where Catherine Zeta Jones's character joins him in the trip to New York. Ah, uh, I'm really glad they didn't. They reshot it. You know, yeah. that would have felt so like the whole movie felt incredibly 
even with the explanation that, oh, flight attendants are so desperate and crazy and whatever, it felt incredibly unbelievable that this well, woman would be yeah. interested in having a, a dinner with... Like, she would be, the like, so quickly to ask out this strange foreign man from Krakosia. Well, that's where, yeah, that's where the movie falls back to, like, movie classic, tropes. like, 50s-style yeah. uh, comedies, romantic comedies, and even in the French, like... The French films where they're they're playing with, you know, with that kind of stuff. It, it did feel, you know, you have to bend reality a little bit. Uh, yeah, it. it was bent a lot. I, I think the movie itself, like, it it, it could maybe needed to be a little more more goofier rather than it was, which is weird because it's kind of a goofy movie. It does. It takes like a. It's an interesting kind of style. It's like slapstick. Not I don't want to say slapstick. Well, there, but I want to but say like moments... a subdued, a subdued visual comedy. That's also just, it's like a, a bl- subdued black comedy, like physical kind of visual comedy. It's interesting. It's not a t- traditional black comedy where it's through the situation and dialogue. This is more, you know, just there's a lot uh, of stagey humor. But that's I think yeah. that's my problem with it is it's so subdued that the comedy. It's it's such a weird lightness to it that it falls flat for me. Like this is the kind of comedy that was really really great in Spielberg's other movies that aren't comedies. Like this is how he would do a joke in Jurassic Park, and because it's such a break from the form of the rhythm of the movie, yeah. it's hilarious. But because it's all this kind of weird light subdued tone, it do, it's not hitting for me. I feel like this movie needed to be pushed. Right. Further into it does slapstick. have this weird, like here every now and then you would get this really funny, like idea. Like for example, he turns a vending machine into sort of like a fridge. The whole movie, there's so much of the movie that just feels like, oh, here's a gag that we could we came right. up with. Like the point we talked about right before we started uh, running um, is there's there's a point in the movie where there's just a dude. They're both there's him and another dude are just shaving in the bathroom, and the guy says it's like living at an airport. Or it's like I'm living at this airport, and Tom. Yeah, it, that, and that's a funny moment, Tom. And he just like just almost breaks the fourth wall and almost stares at the, right at the but camera. But it, it's like, funny, but it's also it felt <laughs> so like really get it. And then the other problem with it is like that could have come at any point in the movie after maybe the first twenty minutes. It had no like, it was just thrown in there at a certain point in the edit. I'm sure like there's no yeah. reason it had to come after that scene before this scene. So so much of the movie feels like kind of a like. Let's, it's just gags, it's just kind of, and then this happens, and then this happens. It's not that you can't do that really well, but I feel like this movie is kind of, it's it's not pushed in a one direction far enough. This no. feels like Spielberg's kind of like, I'm just tired, let's just take a break and hang out in an airport. And, and shoot a movie. <laughs> shoot a movie, and have a Cinnabon or something. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> no. I, I don't want to be hatery, because obviously, and it's it's not like it's, but I don't know. I, I have not. I didn't enjoy this movie. Interesting, because I, I I did watching it again. I'm um, I'm glad you did, because you know but, I'm all for Tom Hanks and Spielberg. But I come from from really loving Jacques Tati movies and from Punch Drunk Love, just the way that that is structured. And right, so but I, I, have, I love Punch Drunk Love too. <clears throat> I don't know about Jacques Tati, but that's only because I'm not familiar. No, that's fine. It's it's more just like it's just this really specific type of film that only only a few have been really made like like it that I can think of and it plays more with like the frame like there's there's a 
color balance I noticed throughout the film, which uh, we've got green, we've got green and red playing off each other mm -hmm. a lot, and then yellow in between that. So we've got green, yellow, and red, and that to me, re you know, represents maybe like a stoplight or a streetlight. Yeah, yeah, like that's go, true. Go stop, and then uh, almost can go. No, not quite with the yellow. Um, and that's playing throughout the entire movie. We have behind Catherine Zeta-Jones. They always frame her with lots of green behind her. And anytime there, there's a scene with the two of them, there's all, I noticed there's always some sort of red like between the two of them in there to represent maybe their love and stuff. Uh, and yeah, it always it just felt like anytime something bad was happening or that was preventing him from getting what he wanted, there would be red there. And then anytime something good was happening in any of the love stories, green was involved. Like I remember the, the, arrow leading to the um, immigration woman who's stamping his passport, yes or no, there's a green line arrow pointing right to her desk, and she's always stamping him with the red yeah. no. And, you, and, you're, and they're, they're um, teasing that green stamp that you know you want. Yes, exactly. The, the light green form. So I'm glad, I'm glad you picked up on the, the color specifically. Sure, it, that's it, a think, big part of the movie for me. Because I think just being the first time through it wasn't something i was able to catch on to no, as much. Neither, neither neither was i before now that i'm able to those are things i look out for now in movies uh and i really enjoy when when i when i notice them and i can see how they're influencing the emotion of a scene or the, or the mental state of a character or whatever it is i i love finding those things and this is the kind of movie where that becomes almost like a part of watching it, it it's it it's kind of funny because you want those things to be subconscious. If they're working correctly, mm -hmm. you don't notice them as an audience. But that's they're, how they're that's still like influencing the you, yeah. But for this kind of a movie, you almost it makes the movie better when you do notice them. At least for me, and that happened with Punch Drunk Love. That's why I bring that up because there's a there's a good play between red and blue in that movie that mm -hmm. I just around upon rewatching it noticed more deeply for the first time, and I got really excited by that. And this movie did that to me too. It's like, oh, I can see what they're doing here now. And it's, they thought this through, you know, they really gave it, you know, with set dressing and everything. They I really mean, sure it's framed exactly how it should be. And I love that stuff. You're, you're absolutely right. Like, no, no discredit to Spielberg's eye and Janusz's, Janusz fucking Kaminsky bringing out the stops in this movie. Like, it looks gorgeous. And uh, I, it, I didn't pick up on, like, the comp the complex details of the the color palette especially of course um, I mean, my first, first time viewing, through yeah you wouldn't notice um but it it doesn't uh it doesn't surprise me that this kind of masterwork is in the film but it's just it's 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 not surprising coming from these guys especially but it's like even in like their worst movie they still put in this much detail this much thought and i i'm i'm sure i would appreciate it more on a second viewing going into it knowing to look for that stuff but i think the fact that you say it makes you like the movie more when you do notice it makes me wonder if if the movie itself was stronger you would feel it different ah that's interesting yeah if the story was a little more uh involved perhaps like not that you would tone down that fine detail but you wouldn't have to register it as much to appreciate the movie because there would be a story and a more no influence character no but at the same time the movie isn't really hammering that stuff over your head because that can be done too and that's when it's like oh i want the audience to notice what i'm doing here I and mean, that's never what you want to what you want to go for at least 
in my perspective on it. So it does have this really interesting tightrope walk balance between all these different sort of styles and kinds of movies. And like you said, like they perhaps didn't go too far in any one direction, uh, which maybe was why it feels sort of, you know, it's, it's in a very specific space. There's nothing really to compare it to there, too closely. Actually, that, that, that makes me think of something. I, I want to ask you a question about that. Sure. Um, that the fact that they didn't push it too far. There were a couple moments here where, like, they pushed it, like, in a, in a cheesier way, which really worked for me. Like, I don't remember the specific scene, but there's one where it's uh, Tucci and his main guard are looking at the monitors and they discover something that uh, Tom Hanks has done that infuriates him. And there's just, like, this real cheesy push-in on Tucci's face um, with the camera. And it's just, like, it's so goofy. It feels like oh, almost I know Sam Raimi. I know what you're talking about, and, and it, it got me excited because I noticed they did something interesting. <clears throat> Behind his head, there are some monitors. Um, and in those monitors are security cameras. And what happens is is they zoom. I think they're zooming in on Stanley Tucci's face as those security monitors behind him are zooming out. So it gives this impression that the space behind him stays the same but we get in just on his face. I thought that was really cool. That yeah, that was maybe my favorite point in the movie visually. And I thought cuz it was funny, like it was interesting, it told a little bit about how he's feeling. I mean, it it does everything yeah. a good camera move does, but it also felt like when you take out that stuff, like that was the stuff I think the movie needed more of to really dramatize sure, how sure. small this movie was. Um I could have definitely used more of that stuff. Yeah, and, that stuff for a movie like this, that can only help it. Yes. Yeah. Find its footing a little better, or find like the kind of movie that it wants to be a little more. If there's more of that, there there was only a few occasions of that stuff happening where, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I do, I do wish it was just like punch after punch like that. Would we, this movie would feel a lot more energized? I think. Yeah. So now I want to ask you. Actually, I f- this is just a theory I obviously just came up with, but I'm kind of wondering if like this is the last movie that Spielberg's really experimented on. Mm. Because this isn't no. his typical style. Like, and not to say that he's not doing new stuff every movie, but this feels so different. And like, he doesn't fully commit to like that kind of a move in the movie. Sometimes it's much more subdued. And I wonder if like he's like, I'm just going to try a couple things with this movie, and that's yeah, why I think it feels... I think you're right. Absolutely, I think this this was a break for him in many ways. Like, he just had to just go off into a different spectrum of what he had been doing up until then. Because he had done some incredible work up until then. I mean, come on. Think, the, think of everything he, he had done up until then. He's the greatest that. living filmmaker, period. No one it's, can dispute there's that. There's no question. And then he just needs to, to do something that's a little slower, a little more visually uh, impactful. You know, just slow it down, try some things out. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, like it, or, like it or hate it. And that's maybe why we're so torn and why I didn't like it when I first saw it, why he, you know, you didn't like it on your first viewing because it does kind of require you your f- full attention and an appreciation for cinema doesn't hurt for this kind of a movie. And well, don't, well, don't talk, don't talk smack as if I don't have a full appreciation. No, 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 no. Of course, I mean, like, but I'm talking like, you know, of course, not. yeah, that's not what I meant. I meant like, you know, for I don't know what I meant because you you don't know what you're talking about, and I don't know what I'm talking about, and that kind of makes. Just two morons talking about a movie we don't so, understand. That's what it feels like. It sounds like we're trash talking each other. This is how we talk all the time. <laughs> Which we do. We do occasionally. <laughs> but uh, uh. Uh, 
But I think, yeah, because he hasn't really done anything in this sort of way. Since then, he did, I, I, what brings to mind is Tintin, which I don't know if that was, if they did anything new on that or not. I think they did. I think that was one of those first, like, new mocap style movies. Like, the yeah. Zemeckis ones didn't quite work out, so they went for for this style. Like, they enhanced it or something. So, you know, he's still pushing the boundaries. He's still, like... I, I, I know, yeah, I certainly didn't mean it in a in a way where he wasn't pushing boundaries. It's just this movie felt more like, like even more than his earliest works, like a student film, in the sense of that this is stuff I've seen that I really like. I want to give it a try. Yeah, like when you see like even Jaws or Duel, um, like he's doing all these things that are new to him, but they're done with such concert with the rest of the movie that it feels fluid throughout. This is a movie, like, this is the only Spielberg movie I could think of where it's, like, the use of a, the, the spread, the, the, the sparing use of different camera techniques or visual techniques are noticeable in the fact that it's like, oh, he, you know, it, that was a thing, it could have been more. Obviously, there are, there are moments in other Spielberg movies where he does a thing once and that's it, but it's kind of functional for the story sure i i am yeah. failing to think of any examples right now because i'm a bad podcast well no i think in the very next film that he does after this uh war of the worlds there's a great amazing uh scene that i can think of where there tom cruise is driving the car with his perfect family, example yes and the, and the camera is doing things that is, is like impossible for a camera to be doing it's going all around the car it's going inside the car. It's coming back outside of the car. It's all one shot. I'm like, how on earth do they do this? Um, so, so, and that of course helps the movie. It's like, yeah. So he he does, you know, every every film that he has, there's something like that in there. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. This. Yeah. Yeah. My opinion of this movie is still. It's very. This is like it's weird. Like I, I mean, Spielberg is the best, but I feel like this movie would have been stronger with a different director. That's that's possibly true too, because it is such a an interesting uh, premise for a film. You can really, yeah, any any. It's it's one of those things where I would love to see, like, what's Lars von Trier's take on this? <laughs> what's you know what's Christopher Nolan's take on this? Like those guys, seeing them slow down and do this kind of a script would be interesting thing to do because it is such a unique premise like oh we have a man stuck in an airport he's stuck between two countries you can you can do a lot politically you can do they could be very satirical um it could be yeah it's a it's a great place or it's a great little concept but again i felt like so little was done with the the political intrigue or the, <clears throat> the satire it was right. so light and fluffy and almost too much that it was just like oh my god I just, yeah, and then and then we we don't really get the, the the sense that we don't know his relationship with his father at all. I mean, we get that it was in, that this is important for him that his father is a crucial figure, but we never not that we need a flashback to explain like anything. But I just feel like like this the whole reason he's doing this is to get this one signature for his dad who's passed away. So in some way, like he's doing this for himself because his father's not going to know that he did this. Yeah. So he's just – it's just this thing in his, in his heart that he needs to complete. Uh, and yeah, it's just – I don't know. There's – you're kind of like – you're expected you, to feel that like weight but they don't really – throughout the movie, you don't really know that that's what's happening. It's just – Yeah. Do you think it would have been more 
do you think it would have been more compelling if we did know up front why he was so motivated to be there? Maybe, maybe, and I think the, the intrigue of what's in the planners dry roasted it didn't really get to me. Do you remember when you first saw it? Did you have a, a guess of what it was? No, and they don't. They only show it once or twice. There's not like a scene where maybe the janitor mistakenly takes his bag, or mm-hmm. or the you know the can is mistaken for something that it isn't, or what it is. But but there's just there should have been I don't know there could have been a little more weight behind that can being so important because we don't really know much until the end of the movie. Yeah, like I did have the. Like, they kind of call it out, and I guess it's better that it wasn't it, but I f- still feel like it would have been more compelling if it was his father's ashes and he wanted to be spread in New York City where maybe he met his mom or something like that, or he right. never made it to America, and that's what he wanted to do. It would have been if- super funny, too. I just thought of this where, and, and, you know, this is just another and perhaps throwaway gag that would, wouldn't work, but if perhaps this saxophone player was at the airport he could have got the signature, but he didn't recognize him, or something happened. I don't know. That, that could have that could have been interesting. That 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 would have felt very at home in this movie, and I don't know if that's yeah. a good thing or a bad thing. No, that's the thing is if I'm able to think of something so stupid so quickly <laughs> and to have it fit directly into the movie, and who's to say they didn't consider that? Too. Yeah. But uh, um, yeah, and then there's one thing. Now that we've sort of explained the entire movie, the last shot of the movie. Now, here's the thing that bothered me, being a New Yorker, is right outside the the doors, we see the taxi cabs, and we hear the noises of the New York City. Now, JFK is nowhere near. It feels like we're in downtown Manhattan <laughs> when we look outside. That and they, cer- they certainly no, imply it. It's nothing like that at all. You don't have to hail a cab. The cabs are there. There's a system where you get in one. They they do it for you, and he. <laughs> so the whole thing was just like, oh, this isn't really how it works. Plus, he how light how long did this flight get delayed? Because to get from Manhattan from JFK is at least an hour, uh, <laughs> on a good day with no traffic. And then what's the address that he's going to? It's a Ramada Inn. One six one, I think. Uh, one six one. It's like one five one or one six one Lexington Avenue is the address of this hotel. The Ramada. Yeah, there it is. I can see it right. Now. So it is an actual hotel that does exist there. Nice. Um, I will have to go there for a Tom Hanks pilgrimage one day. Yes, of course. That's where we should be recording this. Yes. Uh, oh, if if not in JFK itself. And then okay, so if we start there and we go to JFK. We, this, this is now the best part of the podcast. I love this. Here's, here's what's so funny is to get to JFK from there, uh, you don't at all need to go through straight down 7th Avenue through Times Square, which is the last shot of the film. So what we're suggesting is he, he departs the hotel and this taxi driver is screwing him in good New York fashion because he's a foreigner. He's taking him all around. <laughs> oh, I make the wrong turn. Sorry. Because, you know, they do that all the time for tourists who don't know any better. They just, like, hike the fare by driving around a little longer. Um, so that's exactly what happened. But the last shot of the movie is him getting screwed by a, ta- by a New York City taxi driver. <laughs> that's really – because, you know, it's not implied, but that's really, really funny. It also doesn't make sense, though, because when he meets up with the taxi cab to get to the Lexington, they give the implication that, oh, he's studied these maps for so long, he knows exactly how to get there. Because he says, like, well, take, yeah. take the expressway. It's much safer. Or it's much yes, he, he, knows, he knows exactly the, the quickest route based on just – 
a map and perhaps what he had been what he knows about from what he had overheard or something yeah. which i th- i like that and and the the cab driver is from russia and they have a moment oh there's a great joke there where it's uh, it's, uh victor asks the taxi driver how long he's been in in new york and he says oh let me think uh since thursday <laughs> so he's <laughs> One of the, probably one of the best jokes in the movie, yeah, actually. I, I like that joke quite a bit. Now, that, I think that's a good time to bring up. I, I know that you have a segment here where you find the the best Tom Hanksy line yes. or some good – you focus on dialogue, which this movie is great with that. And then I like – we wanted to talk about his performance a little bit mm-hmm. too and how like he does play that sort of a man quite well. It did remind me of Borat a little bit because – I don't think that had come out yet. No, no, Borat was in 2006, so... The, yeah. So Borat was doing an impression Borat, of this. And that was such a cultural sort of phenomenon when that came out. Uh, and I thought it was the funniest movie I had seen when I saw that. I and don't looked, disagree with you, sir. No. And I look back at uh, <laughs> this movie now, and I I see some some similar territory with some of the jokes and, and potential like things. But this movie's really just chock full of good one-liners. Uh, one, I wrote down quite a few. There's one where uh, Stanley Tucci explains to him the situation he's in right at the beginning of the movie. He can't, can't go into New York, can't go home. And Tom Hanks gets up, shakes his hand and says, uh, where do I buy the Nike shoes? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Uh, to jump back, I think maybe the Hanksiest line uh, I could think of in- – it's not again a real true Hanksy one, but maybe in just the kind of way he he's able to do it so fast is when he's trying to rehearse uh, bite to eat, eat to bite, eat to bite, I to bite yes. to eat, bite to eat. Yes. Do you yeah. want to get an eat to bite? An eat to bite. When he's, when he's practicing asking Captain Zeta Jones out, uh, which that's really great. Which yeah, <laughs> and that's a good transition, to, like to talk specifically about his performance. And I have two questions, or rather two parts parts to this. A, let's just talk about how the performance is done. And then B, do you think this is – this feels kind of like the last maybe time frame you could kind of do this kind of performance where if it's not like a complete satire like Borat where it's just kind of a white guy doing a foreign guy. I don't know right. if you could do this movie anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know if it would be – As acceptable. Seen as – there would be probably some controversy for sure when this movie was was released. You know, where we're at now, yeah, I, I think there would have been <laughs> definitely some talk about, oh, Tom Hanks is playing this this guy and, and then, you know, he, he would have to have a press release or something. Yeah, <laughs> I could see yeah. that happening today for sure. Um, and that's interesting because this came out in 2004. So, I mean, that, that was definitely in the in the zeitgeist then too. Yeah. But it was uh, certainly still fashionable to be like, I, I mean, this movie in no way, uh, in no way, and let me repeat that, uh, villainizes foreigners. Not but at all. Being in that was, post, so recently to that post 9-11 world, it makes sense that you could kind of take this subject matter and maybe right. you'd have more freedom to have a white guy play a someone from, obviously it's a made up country. Which is not something they didn't bore at because they wanted to be as offensive as possible. Right. Yeah. But uh, uh, but still, I feel like even with the made up country, like th- you know, this kind of thing is like you could see it on Saturday Night Live as a sketch. But I wonder if you could do a whole movie that's it's obviously a comedy, but 
a little bit more serious in tone. And then someone like Tom Hanks doing it. Right. I mean, who better to to pull that off than Tom Hanks? But That's true. Again, yeah, I wonder if they would have casted, if it was any other, if it was now, if they would still cast Tom Hanks to, to play that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that is interesting. But I think he, 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 I definitely didn't once think of that while I was watching it. I totally bought that he was this man from that country, that small country. Yeah, it's I just mean, because he played it so so, so well, he played uh, not understanding English really well. Yeah, I think the strongest he, part yeah. of the movie uh, is probably, I mean, no surprise, his performance. the The language barrier, especially as you were saying, is very real. To just to play that, yeah, to play not understanding English when you actually do understand it is really tricky. Uh, but it felt super authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then you know all the other characters are sort of just. They're not as complex. They're more, you know, they're fulfilling their side. Even Captain Zeta Jones, she does have her arc there, but she just still feels very. She doesn't really change that much. Now, and, and did you notice this is also the most Meg Ryan-y Catherine Zeta Jones has ever seen? Yeah. To me? What Hell was up yeah, with that? For sure, for sure. Yeah, it's as if they had written this for Meg Ryan, but she, they couldn't get her. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, and Stanley Tucci did a good job too, playing the villain. Tucci was great. Again, it's some. It's like it wasn't a problem with his performance. It was a problem with I wish they had pushed the movie further so that he he could have been more villainous. Because I feel yeah. like if there's one criticism I have of Spielberg as a trend is that he kind of takes the bite out of his bad guys a little too much. A little bit, yeah. Um, if, if Victor or not Victor, but if uh, Frank uh, Dixon, the Stanley Tucci character, was a bit more, uh, a bit more just like. Because he is, he's the thing holding him back from yeah. city. If he says yes, you can go, he'll find a way to let that happen. But he's not doing that. He's keeping him there for some reason or another. So there could have been a little more like, you know, I'm like I'm I'm choosing to do this to you for whatever reason. But there wasn't. I don't know. Yeah, we needed to see. I, I think we needed to push it in one direction or the other. They, I would have loved to see a more sadistic Stanley Tucci being it's like. It's as if, yeah, Stanley Tucci couldn't make up his mind. He's like, I want him to go. I'm going to figure out ways to make this happen for him. And then it's the state's problem. Or I'm going to keep him here and, and follow the rules of what, like the rule that I came up with originally. So he's like, it's this like thing. He's like going back and forth in his own head about what he wants to do. And then, of course, at the end when he gets away in the taxi, uh, and they're chasing after him, and you know he mentions, "All right, there's a flight from Tokyo that just landed. We've got a lot of work to do. Let's go back inside." And he, there's a smile on his face, like he's like, "Victor, you did it. This is out of my hands now. I did everything I yeah, could." Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That moment, it felt like to me like Spielberg's trying to have it both ways, or it's like, yeah, he had him be a bad guy, and then he's like, you know what? I'm gonna get my victory too because I'm gonna be all. Better man for this. It's like, and I do love movies where where you have realistic villains who aren't like they're not they're antagonists. They're not villains. Like I, I think of specifically most of the like the Miyazaki movies. Most of the the bad guys aren't really bad. They're just you know in conflict. And then we kind of see that they're they're very understanding and we have empathy for them. And you know there's yeah. this whole thing. And I feel like with with this movie especially, but it's sort of in a, a number of Spielberg films, you kind of you walk that line and it's like you need to kind of go one way or the other for the way the movie is made for it to really work. And 
I, like Stanley Tucci in this movie should have had had a George Costanza arc where it's like he's trying <laughs> to get rid of him initially, but then he's like so slighted by the fact that this guy is just under his skin that he's like, I'm gonna make your life a living hell. <laughs> so that like the last thing he could have done, right. like and like it seemed like sort yeah, of that's, his that's... job was on the line for a minute, but then it wasn't. Yeah, that was interesting to me too because because. Uh, when when Victor goes in to get to to get this uh, emergency visa to to work, he needs Stanley Tucci's signature. Uh, so he goes to him, and when he, that scene's happening, it feels to me as if Stanley Tucci's like packing up his office, and he's got he got fired. But I don't think that's what happened. No, I think he got the promotion, and that's get the promotion. Yeah, but either way, it just felt kind of like like. All right, yeah. you got your promotion. Why? Like, if, if Stanley Tucci had gotten fired or something, there it would have been a little more. Yeah, would have put a little more weight on getting his signature. Yeah. yeah. In terms of like, just you know, your your screenwriting one on one techniques, it seems like they should have been mutually exclusive goals for Stanley Tucci yeah. to get the promotion. He would have had to have, you know, squashed. He would have had to have made sure Tom Hanks goes home. Right. If Tom Hanks goes to New York, that means he does not get the promotion. So, like, it, for the stakes-wise, it felt like as soon as that happened, it was like, oh, this is another thing we kind of pulled the steam out of. And here's something that I, just crossed my mind. And it is if this, were, if this actually happened today, there would have been media coverage. Everyone would have known that this That's man true. was stuck between these countries. Like, here's something interesting. This war is happening, but we do have a man on American soil who's stuck. This would have been a, hu- yeah. a huge story, even probably back then. Sure, uh, yeah. That's that's really that's an interesting And note. that takes the movie all like that would have been a whole different movie. Yeah. And that's I think that's actually in real life what would have happened. Is yeah. the media would have picked up on it. There would be people there every day. He'd, he'd be getting support from strangers, whatever it is. And that just takes it all in a whole different direction. Is it is it bad if I I say I might I kind of want to see that movie instead. <laughs> I mean, I would I would like to see where that would take his character. Yeah. Like what would end up happening. I feel I feel like they would find out why he's in New York. They would get that guy, to, the saxophone player, to come to the airport or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And, that, and then where is your conflict from there? What, what do you have? You That's just true. have a man waiting for the war to end. So, you, well, yeah, you probably would have had to rewrite the movie so it was, he wanted something different. Yeah, maybe the, maybe the love story gets a little t- t- tougher where he's mm-hmm. like, he chooses to stay for Catherine Zeta-Jones or something. Like That's probably where it would have ended up. Um, that, that, I don't know. That just feels... No. Yeah, that's interesting. The other thing that felt like really dated for me was the pagers. Like, there's no cell phones, <laughs> but like when you like even when you're in a movie or a TV show and you're like, and they don't have cell phones, that doesn't feel as dated as when you see a pager. No, a pager was this really specific thing where I, when I was growing up, they were around, but I never personally needed one. So, because you were a child and you had no appointments, and I was a child and I had no appointments, and I just <laughs> it's just like this piece of technology that I missed out on, even like. Tapes and vinyl records. I grew up with those. Um, you know, I knew what those were, and I had them around. But for that, for a pager, I don't even think my dad had one. So I did, there was like this foreign technology. To yeah. me. Even in two thousand four, that seems a little late. Yeah, on the right. Pager I feel run. like cell phones were definitely starting to prop up around then. Like, I mean, they they existed before that in the the bulkier stuff for the for the the extremely wealthy, but. Because I know in the ni- early '90s, Fraser and Niles had cell phones on Fraser, <laughs> but yeah, but pagers. Oh, there's something so like it's in Thirty Rock as a joke because like the pager is such a dated thing that no one would ever need it. So it, it that that dated the movie so much more than just not having cell phones. Uh, but the media coverage is something I didn't think of, and like that's that's really interesting. That's 
Um, I mean, obviously, the kind of movie they were making, they chose to make, was more about yeah. the small, the small interactions with strangers that become a community, and that's something I really get behind. I just feel like the execution could have been better. I wanted more yeah. of that. Like again, I really and. As I've grown and I've played the games more, just to go back to this very odd metaphor, I think I prefer The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask to The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'll feel this way about the Terminal versus Saving Private (laughs) Ryan. No. So let me ask you now, how does this fall on your list of Tom Hanks Spielberg movies? Yeah, yeah, we we talked about that a little bit ago, but I didn't answer you. I don't know. It's hard to place it for me. I definitely... You know, I appreciate it more now having revisited it and have pulled apart some things I really like about it. But will I will I be quick to pop this one in over a Saving Private Ryan or, you know, you know, even the new one coming up, Bridge of Spies, I think looks pretty good. Like any of those ones just feel a little more they've got a little more to chew on where this one if if you're looking for something lighter something a little more easier to 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 watch you would go for this but so yeah i I don't know i place it in a whole separate column uh, for him i think you know what i'll say this is the perfect movie to fall asleep to (laughs) and i mean that i mean that as a plus and a negative if this tom hanks movie were an ice cream flavor what would it be if this tom hanks movie were an ice cream flavor what would it be what is the terminal I think the terminal is pistachio flavored ice cream, not only because of the the nuts reference mm-hmm. going yeah. on, but because it's a flavor that I don't particularly go for. It's a strange <laughs> flavor. It belongs in the lineup, but it's one that I don't. You know, maybe I'll try it again someday soon. But it's it's one of those curious flavors for me. So I would say. It is pistachio. Plus, it's green, a green flavor, and this movie plays a lot with, a lot with green. Like, so I think that's a good choice. Oh, your ride's here. We better wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, my, 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 uh, my taxi's waiting. <laughs> uh, pistachio sounds great. I think that's it. Um, thanks so much for being on the podcast, Tom. My absolute pleasure. Where, what, do you have anything to plug? Where can the people find you on social media? People can find me. Uh, I, 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 I curate my Instagram pretty closely. I don't really pay attention to Facebook much anymore. I don't have a Twitter. I do have a website, but don't go to it. <laughs> go to Splat Studios if you want to so see You Tom's find stuff. my work on, on Splat Studios. Elvis <laughs> and I go way back and we've done a lot of work together. But uh, yeah, you know, maybe just don't find me. Maybe just let me be. Uh, <laughs> Tom, Tom is the Gupta of my friends. I am the Gupta. I prefer. I'll, 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 save, I'll delay your flight and be deported to my country if you need me to, but... Probably not. So what we're saying is don't find him. If he needs you, he'll find you. Exactly. All right. Uh, don't forget to follow me, though, because I am uh, oh, don't, plugging don't all don't the way. Elvis. Elvis is doing really well. He's really <laughs> funny. Uh, I'm plugging you. That's who I want to plug. Uh, thank you. Thank you. This very man kind. has done a lot, and he's, he's one to watch out for. Find me anywhere across social media, at Elvis Kunesh. That's K-U-N-E-S-H after the Elvis, which I hope you know how to spell. Uh, you can find our 
Website at SpotStudios.com, social media at SpotStudios. Find Tom Hanks Giving on Twitter at Tom Hanks Pod. Send us an email with your thoughts about the terminal. Do you agree more with Tom, where you've kind of matured into liking it? Or are you more like me, where you think uh, it's maybe Spielberg's worst movie? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> write to us uh, at TomHanksPod at gmail.com. And uh, don't forget to subscribe, review, rate on iTunes. And if you're listening to this Tuesday, Tom Hanks Tuesday, when it comes out, Check into our Splat Studios YouTube channel tomorrow for the Tom Hanks giving leftover scene of the terminal. Love it. Elvis, I hope to see you at JFK Airport uh, Gate, what is it, 57? 67. G67 or whatever it is. Really soon. I hope to pick you up. Yes, I will be there. Where do I get the Nike shoes? (laughs) Tom Hanks, we fell in love with you, Tom Hanks. Just like so many do deeply Because you made a smile And you're great on screen style So that's why we give thanks Cause you got a friend in Tom Hanks Tom Hanks Tom Hanks Yo, Elvis here. Real quick, we forgot about uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, yeah, obviously this is not Spielberg's weakest film by a wide margin because that one exists. I uh, just wanted to get that in there at the end, and thanks. We'll see you next week for Bridge of Spies.